ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome back. It is Wednesday here on Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. And as usual, I have with me from Canal Street Chronicles and so many other places, um, Ross Jackson. And um, Ross, first, let me welcome you back for our, our weekly uh, Dome Patrol report. Um, how are you doing today, sir? Ah, oh, man, I appreciate you. Always a pleasure to be here with you. You know how much we love these. Uh, so always glad to be here with you, man. I've been looking forward to it all day and, uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm interested in watching the landscape of sports right now for certain, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but, uh, it is a, uh, it's an interesting day. I'll say it that way. Yeah. It, it hit me really hard because you know, this stuff, it started to bubble up last night and you started mm-hmm. to hear about conversations that everything was on the table. And mm-hmm. typically when you hear about this, that never means that there's not going to be a game. There's, the right. game always gets played. We've seen right. this before. Um, whether it was Donald Sterling, whether it was when we first started talking about these things, yep. issues, the games still get played. Yep. And today they're not going to get played. And tomorrow they likely will not get played. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the fact that it's the Milwaukee Bucks, but it's everybody, all the teams, yep. who said that they won't play when you have a LeBron James basically oh boy shouting out in anger yeah you have Doc Rivers and the way he handled himself last night mm-hmm. with eloquence with grace with sadness with to- with torment yeah. um to watch the experience the last couple of days of just again of blackness in America and to watch it play out in this unfortunate position that these athletes are put in. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have to carry this burden. It is not their burden that they are supposed to carry, but right. they have been put in this place at this moment in time and are making these choices. How do you feel as someone who observes from an athletic standpoint mm-hmm. and then just as a person, as a black person in America, watching this moment in history, something that we really have not lived through before? No, nah, man. I, I think like that's kind of one of the big key things. I'm looking at this in a couple of different ways, right? Because you want to look at this in, and, and there's a part of me that wants to appreciate this for the historical weight that this carries. Because it's just like you said, like we've always heard about, you know, teams and, and everything talking about, yeah, like any options on the table or, or, or a threatened to boycott. We saw I can't remember which college it was, but we saw a college do that last season in terms of threatening to not take the football field before their season. And ultimately, as you mentioned, they always do. Like they always take the field. They always take the court. Now, all of a sudden, the framework of this is so heavy. And it's so, I think, Effective, and, and what I, what I mean by that is that it, it can't be effective enough to immediately create legislative or policy change. That that has to happen over a long, arduous process. I mean, like nobody's gonna say, "Oh, the NBA is not playing well. I guess we're gonna stop killing black people." Like right. 
it's not going to be that quick, that simple, right? But that doesn't mean that it's not ineffective. Like this is perhaps, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong or maybe you, if you feel differently, this may be the most effective thing we've seen athletes do in their fight for social justice outside of maybe the incredible work that the WNBA has been doing for years, for, for decades, uh, you know? And so it's, it is one of those things. But at the same time, you do look at this as something that it, these athletes shouldn't be the ones that have to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always sort of been that feeling among, not, not amongst myself, but amongst people that criticize athletes for quote unquote, getting political, which is entirely missing the point in the first place, but that criticize the athletes under that lens and through that scheme by saying that, well, they're a bunch of millionaires and it doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, these players, these athletes, these millionaires are essentially putting their future, their paycheck, their game, their career, I don't want to say on the line, but they're willing to show that we are willing to give it up for now to make this statement and to say that there are things bigger than this, you know, playoff series deciding game. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's, I, I applaud that. I really, really do. I think this is the first time that I've really seen athletic organizations do something that has made me go, I have to give it up to you. Usually I want to poke holes in it. Usually I kind of want to, you know what I mean? I want to investigate a little bit more. I want to talk about like, uh, is this performative, right? Which isn't to insult those other things. Just, you know, you should probe. You should ask questions. You should, Absolutely. you know, solidify this was kind of the first thing that happened. And excuse me, I, I know I'm like being slow today, but I'm still processing things and everything as well. But this is the first thing that I've seen happen in these leagues that I've gone, I have to give it up because this doesn't stop at the NBA. This is not going to stop at the NBA. It can't. I don't think it can at this mm-hmm. point. And you saw the NFLPA tweet pretty quickly after their support of the NBA players, you've seen NFL players all of a sudden coming out and saying, okay, this is what you, we have to do. This is, this is, they're showing us they're willing to do it. So we have to step up now. Yep. And we're moving past this whole conversation of what Jerry Jones is talking about as to whether or not he's even go. no one cares about that. (laughs) You know, we're in the stage of players in the Milwaukee Brewers have canceled their game for tonight. The players have said that they will not play. I think this is, you know, I think you're going to see NFL teams have to deal with this. You're going to see college programs have to deal with this, that this is going to get bigger and bigger. And I think that, yeah, as far as the statement of in this pandemic, in all these things that are going on, we are not going to let the world move past this. And I think this was the player's fear when we talked about Kyrie Irving and all these things before we went into this and, and I had my reservations. I did not want the season to restart for these very reasons. Um, this was their fear was that their voices would get muted. And I think it's a mixed fear. In some ways, yes, they've gotten the opportunity to amplify and regularly say what's happened. But I think on the same end, those players are frustrated because they have not been able to be physically present to continue to push that effort and to be aggressive in their communities and demand that change. It's one thing to say it on a microphone, 
but it's another thing when you are out in your community and walking the streets and going to visit um, people who can directly impact those things. And I think that's where players are now getting their focus back onto is saying, okay, we don't want to just have fans realize that black lives matter. We need attorney generals. We need governors. We need legislators to start doing stuff again. And we're not going to let you ride this out until November. Um, You know, even though their focus clearly is on the election, they're not willing to give up another two plus months waiting to find out if something is going to change. Right. Yeah. Because that's the thing is like every time that you wait to find out if things are going to change, you're reminded that they aren't. And the reminder that they're not means somebody has lost their life with injustice. Yep. And that is not worth any damn basketball game. That is not worth any damn playoff series. That is not worth anybody's entertainment. I do not care who you, it's not even that I don't care. It's that I can't. Right. I can't, I cannot care if somebody is upset about the idea that a basketball game is not being played right now, because we don't get to forget. It doesn't matter if the bucks and the, and the, the, uh, the, the magic are playing. It doesn't matter. Like for people like us, there is no distraction. There's no forgetting. There's no sanctuary. We can't be in a church in South Carolina. We can't be on a swing set playing with toys. We can't be walking down the street with Skittles and an Arizona iced tea. We can't be trans. We can't be anything. We can't be people because we can't forget. We can't be distracted. And that was one of the things that kind of, I don't want to say drove me, but that certainly struck a chord with me when people were coming out saying, well, what does this achieve? Like, wouldn't you want to distract people and things like that? And and there there was a, a friend of mine that said that, that I responded to, but it's not just that person. There were several people that had that same viewpoint and were not nearly as understanding as, as the friend that I had the conversation with was about it. And the point of all of this, first of all, and I'm so glad that you mentioned it because it's an astute observation. It ain't about the fans. It ain't about affecting the people that are sitting at home watching on television. Those people are important, yes, because we all play our role in terms of being able to drive change locally. Yep. But that is not who this statement is for. This statement is for the, much, you know, the people that make the decisions immediately. This statement right. is for legislation. The statement is for policy. This statement is for, I'll just say, the people that drive that conversation. That's the way that I'll phrase yeah. it because it's, it's many different positions, many different avenues, many different angles. But that's who this statement is for. This is not about you, know, you and I sitting at home and not having something to entertain us for the evening. And I think that's something we have to keep in mind is that, and this is something that I've harped on pretty strongly as well, is that these players individually, the men, the women, the everyone that are making these decisions to not play today and for however long it takes, shout out to, you know, like Rod Walker, who was like, don't play again until Breonna Taylor's killers, murderers are arrested and prosecuted on top of that. Hell yeah. Take it away. Because here's the thing. For us... And for the people that this message is, I'll say, about, Mm -hmm. losing entertainment for an evening is not the concern. Nope. 
losing a life absolutely is. And it's a very real concern because we have to be concerned every time that we go out, not even go out, Brianna Taylor, it happens in your own damn house. It happens in your own damn apartment. You could be sitting there doing nothing. Yep. And, and one person in the apartment complex feels some way about something that they thought happened. Or even if they just think you're the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. They, you're the wrong door. We knocked on the wrong door. I thought I was coming I into my own home. apartment, but I'm actually entering another person's apartment. And so I can kill them too. Right. Yeah. There's That's no the circumstance. Yeah. I can't, I can't feel bad for somebody that loses entertainment for an evening or two. I can't because what, I, what I'm worried about losing is so much more than that. What I'm worried about other people losing is so much more than that. I talked earlier today about, and we've talked about this before too. I don't think explicitly on this show, but you know, I get I, I get a lot of you know uh, when I get introduced going on radio shows and stuff like that. Like, there's always a little bit of fun to be had about you know the amount of places that I write and stuff like that. And I love that. I love that. You know what I'm saying? Because because I am putting a lot of work in, in a lot of different places that I'm a part of. But the reason that I do that, and the reason that I'll put my face anywhere on anybody's show, I'll appear on anybody's show as long as they're willing to have a constructive conversation, whether it be about sports or otherwise, I don't care. The reason why I do that is because I hope, I hope, and I mentioned you by name on my show today, that people, young people, see us. They see Kelsey. They see LaChina. They see uh, you know, all of these other examples that we have of us, of black people, black men and women and otherwise, as an example of something that they can aspire to be, something that they can aspire to do that runs in conflict and unfortunately coinciding with the fact that they can also open Twitter at any point and see themselves reflected by a knee on their neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds or by playing on a swing set or by walking down the street with Arizona iced tea and, 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 and Skittles or, you know, like Maya Hall didn't deserve what happened to her. You know, Sandra Bland didn't deserve what happened to her. Yvette Smith did not, you know, it, 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 didn't, it didn't deserve what happened to her. You know what I mean? Like, this is not one of those things to where we can just brush this aside. And the thing is, too, all. is, you know, it's the same in a lot of ways as the way we have to frame the, the COVID-19 conversation is people only want to view it as death or the other end. Like, is either, right. oh, if it's not death, then I mean, we're talking about the daily things too that that wear away at mm -hmm. your humanity um of just the, the of living your life of striving to live your life as a human being when doc rivers you know talked about again is like why i you just can't comprehend why you love a place and it refuses to love you back in kind mm -hmm. and the people who have given so much who have always forgiven who have always been asked to forgive a disproportionate amount and and yet still like these are one of the days where it's just like i'm glad i kind of you know my wife and my daughter are out of town right now and i'm kind of glad that my daughter isn't here um mm -hmm. today because though i'm i'm proud of what 
those athletes are doing is still, it's another day where it's just like, you also get reminded of why they have to do it. And, and that pain of having to, I said, it's not the talk. It's a talk and another talk and another talk. There's never just one. Cause there's all kinds of different ones. You got to learn. You got to learn about the police. You got to learn about the workplace. You got to learn about school. You got to learn about the, where other people's houses, how to act, just things that are just different. And in society, knowing all the other things that are real, the real economic damage of redlining, the real economic yep. damage of housing uh, discrimination, the real economic damage of all the things that have happened. And then, having to watch it continuously be played out and still be optimistic. Right. Enough to like, just an optimistic enough every day to get up and go, we're going to talk about a game today. Yep. And it's going to matter. Right. And to, to do those two things, to talk about something that I enjoy that is essentially frivolous, mm-hmm. but at the same time, make it matter. Yeah. That's why I do yeah. it too. It has to yeah. matter. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tricky, the only word that I can think of it is not the only way that I can, the only word that I ever have been able to think of about existing while black um, is navigation. Because we're consistently navigating obstacles over, under, around, doesn't matter through sometimes consistently navigating the the thing. And, And the thing about it is that very rarely are we actively, there are, there are moments in time in which we are actively navigating toward a goal that isn't just to simply survive. 97% of the time, you're navigating to survive. Every now and then, you're navigating to succeed, you're navigating to achieve. And that's usually when something else distracts you for a second. Those little glimpses of distraction that sometimes we're able to find that always unfortunately just lead to yet another reminder but for the most part we're navigating simply to survive and it is very hard very very hard i tweeted earlier today that like lord am i tired i'm tired and i think we have all been for a very long time and this is nothing new like what i said and that tweet about me being tired is not a new emotion nope. it's not an unfamiliar emotion it is everyday existence but sometimes we choose our forms of protest, right? My form of protest has always been my presence. I will happily infiltrate and present myself in places where I am not welcome. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, look, before, before I started, you know, transitioning over to sports media, I worked in theater. Uh, I work in a union, the Actors' Equity Union, of 53,000 members. Of those members, I am one of, we've only been able to identify about 15 black men that do the job that I did in that union. And there's only two jobs represented by that union, one of actor and one of stage manager. And I did that job damn well. (laughs) And that was my form of protest for being present and for to allow people to see me in a place where they couldn't before see themselves. So that again, the examples weren't just the examples that run on the nightly news that, tur- that are turned into trauma porn on, an ex- on a consistent basis and that are utilized for content. I didn't want that to be the only example out there. It's why I do things like this. It's why, I do, it's why we do things like this. It's why we do the things that we do. 
you know, the incredible work of the National Association of Black Journalists, for instance. It is this moment in time that is so incredibly important. It is so important to not move on from this too quickly. And in fact, to not move on from this. Period. Not until we have like literally started to deal with the injury. Right. Like we just we just can't keep stuffing the gauze in. Right. And hoping that it's that it'll stop bleeding. And that's what we're doing. And every once in a while the blood just becomes too much and you have to pull the gauze out. And and right now we're at the point of either are we gonna deal with the wound or we're just gonna shove some more gauze in it for a few more months and hope that people just be quiet. Yeah, we can't can't move past it and it is hard. I think I don't, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to transition all the time to, to that duality that you talk about, that, that duality that W. Du Bois talked about, James Baldwin talked about, right. yep. of yep. trying to be a human being and be a black human being in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's a very different, those are two different things. And that, that yeah. when you talk of tired, I think, people need to understand it's not a tired of like a frustration. It's a fatigue. fatigue. It is a weariness. It is a shared sadness because I know what you mean. And there are millions who empathize with that, who have typed the same thing, who have said the same thing, who have felt the same thing. Just those two words. I'm tired because Mm -hmm. it's, we've been carrying this and people carried it, carried it before us and we're trying to stop, passing that luggage on. I don't want my kids to carry this luggage and I don't want their kids to have to get, this is not one of the heirlooms that I want to keep passing down is my pain and the suffering of my people that we've been dragging around for half a millennia. Yeah. We're, we're in a position to where we as black people in America don't have the advantage of being able to pass down generational wealth. That was, that was compounded on our own backs, on, on our people's backs. We instead passed the pain of that wealth and the way that that wealth was built, right? There's, there's, it, to, every, to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So while that gets passed on in other communities, we get caught passing down, or not even caught, excuse me, we have no choice yes. but to continue passing down the residual effect of where that which is being passed down elsewhere was created. And so we are stuck with that. In every way possible. In every way possible. Psychologically, biologically, and and physiologically. I mean, it's 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 part of us in every way. It's it's that's that's the the sadness of it is that people think it's just a pattern of behavior, that it's things that you can do or not do. That it but no, this is literally in our DNA. The suffering Mm -hmm. of all this is coded in our DNA. So think about that. Think about the kind of trauma you have to survive for it to become a part of your code and you are p- passing it through your blood to your children. Right. Not your it's, eye color, not your, yeah, you pass one. Right. Pain. Right. Pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's so many things is the thing. It, it's not that I can't find one word. It's that I can't pick which word to use sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like the vocabulary that we have is sometimes not 
is sometimes too limited and other times not limited enough yes. to express the frustration, the hurt, the pain, the, 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 the abuse, all of it. You know, it, it's one of, it, it's one of those things where like at any day, any of these Wednesdays, and, and I, I pose this to my, my co-host over at SP, FPC today too, but any of these days, and I'm going to repeat it just because I think it's important. Any of these Wednesdays or Tuesday nights where you and I hit each other up to, you know, get ready for the next day and schedule where we're going to, where we're going to, you know, sit down. One of those days and any of those times we could send that message and not hear anything back and have no idea what the hell happened. That is a very real reality. That is a very real reality that not everybody has to live with. There are certainly examples of that in terms of just living life. I understand that. I get that. But that doesn't mean that it makes it acceptable to have to have that concern around a structure and a system that is in place that is supposed to quote unquote serve and protect. And I think that the issue that a lot of people have, not issue, excuse me, let me not be dismissive. The, the hang up that some people have is that they want to focus on a broken system. But the way that I see it is that the system is working exactly the way that the system was built to work. Yes. And certainly there are, exceptions to that. There are things that are broken within certain systems. There are things that go outside of those systems, but either way, there are systems operating and doing exactly what it is that they were designed to do because the systems were created by one type of people, one type of man on top of that for another type of man. I'm sorry, for the same type of man and every other type of man, every other type of woman and every other type that falls in categories undescribed by those two terms was left out of that. And so every time that a system is in place that goes back, 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 not even when it goes back, because probably if you're a brand new business, you probably started off with those same people creating the structure within your own individual business. So you've also locally created issues within your own jurisdiction and where you have the ability to make change. But in those moments, those are examples of the way that these systems get created to work in a way that if carried out correctly, lead to exactly, or if carried out as intended, either intentionally or unintentionally, lead to exactly what we're seeing today. Yep. And so it's not about fixing systems. It's about changing systems. It's about changing the people that develop systems. It's about all of that. You know, working in theater, I had a, a white artistic director uh, ask me after one of the many examples of what we see. Mm -hmm. What can I do to help? <laughs> now the artistic director of people that aren't uh, familiar with uh, you know, theatrical structure is the person that essentially calls essentially all the shots. They're the person underneath the board of directors and executive director that creates the artistic vision and carries out the artistic vision of every theater. And I looked that man in the face and I said, quit and give your job to a black woman. And he ain't never asked me that question again. Nope. Because that's not the answer. That's not the answer he wanted. The answer he wanted was you could do X, Y, and Z in terms of your programming, or you can be the face of this big change that you got idea that you got from off the back of a black person. That's what he wanted. But I wasn't about to give him that. Instead, here's how you can actually 
make change, step off and step down. And it's that type of attitude that is being, not attitude, that type of pointed reflection that's being driven now towards people that are policymakers, that are decision makers. And that's who this statement, going back, that's who this statement is for. Mm-hmm. It's for those people. It's for the people that are watching that have the ability to make decisions and haven't made those decisions. And now culturally around them, things are starting to change. Things are looking unfamiliar. Things are looking uncomfortable. Everybody got mad comfortable when sports came back. Oh, sports is back. Now there's solace. Now there's sanctuary. But that wasn't true for everybody. That was true for particular portions of of individual uh, individual populations. Now, those things are being taken away. And I say, keep them away as long as you have to. What do they teach you as a parent? They tell me, you know, they say the, the best kind of discipline is, is taking things away from your kids, the things mm-hmm. that they want. You know, you don't just punish them indiscriminately. You don't yell. You don't, you know, because that, that only works in the moment. Right. You take away the things that they really want. Take away that TV. Take away the phone. Take away the computer. Take away the iPad. Take away. The, that's when people notice. And I think absolutely, you know, society like you said, there's this, there's a shift, there's a paying of attention that has not been there before. And I think the communication, we talked about this early, early on, that Mm -hmm. the communication, the time that these athletes, the time that we have citizens have had to talk to each other about this more Mm -hmm. and more. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest part of this is that those support networks are so much stronger than they might have been at a different time for for athletes, for politicians, for whomever. When you speak up on these things before, you might have been speaking into a, um, a hallway, and now there's people there for that to you know to stand there and say, "We're no, right. you're not crazy. We're with you on this." Yep. And and so I hope, I hope it does continue to go forward. I hope mm-hmm. it does continue to to well. I hope it stops in order to make things go forward. Like yes. I, that this this is not a hesitation, but an actual stop to to make people say we're not going any more further until there's real change on the table. Yep. And if you're somebody that is upset about the idea of sports stopping, don't get mad at the athletes for stopping it. Get mad at the people that refuse to act and, and address the catalyst and the impetus for all of what's happening today, starting the same, today. The same with people who say, I want to be in the stadiums. Yep. You, want, you want to be mad, you're mad about that? Be mad about the people who didn't make good health policy and, right. and do the things that they were supposed to do to enable you to be in a stadium um, when these games do start, if and when they yeah. do start. Yeah. All right. That was, in, you know, I wanted, I didn't know how long we would go with that mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I don't, we don't ever time anything out when we have our conversation. We really don't. <laughs> like I have idea. I always have an idea of how I think the structure is going to go. Um, and, but there's also no ever easy way to transition. So I don't care yeah. to do something and be like, just, Oh, let's take a break and do and do a right. wipe. And no, okay. Shit. Sometimes in life, sometimes life conversations get serious. And then sometimes That's you got to right. change the subject. You know, it's just not going to be like one of the things at a party we go, okay, uh, excuse me. I got to go talk to this person now. Right. Yeah. But, this conversation is done. I'm going to talk to that person now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, today, uh, another day of camp for the Saints, very a, a successful day um, for them, even considering the weather conditions in New mm-hmm. Orleans, very windy, um, anticipation of hurricane coming through, passing 
to the to the to the west of, mm-hmm. of New Orleans, but at the same time, you know, it it, it did cause some problems. Yeah. Um, but a, but a great day, particularly for the defense, and that yes. has been the talk of camp for from the outset is how good this defense could be. But they're showing in camp so far, particularly guys in the secondary. Yeah. That they're very active. When's the last time we've been able to say this? <laughs> that the you know, secondary you know what I'm saying? Was the, like, oh man, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been, been a minute. A, been a long time. It's been a minute, yeah. uh, and and we got excited about it. You know, only for letdowns in, in the past. So certainly we will be cautious going into this in the 2020 season. But certainly. I mean, what we're seeing in terms of the talent level, and, and we talked about this, that on paper, this team looks fantastic. You're pretty loaded at every position, on, on, you know, specifically talking about the defensive side. Maybe you could have a little bit more when it comes to boundary depth at the corner position, or maybe not, you know, yeah. depending upon you're considering what we've seen here recently. So. Marshall Lattimore, Janoris Jenkins, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, excuse me, uh, C.D. Deuce, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, Marcus Williams, those guys expected to perform well and so far have been performing pretty well. We've seen Marcus Williams walk away with a couple of interceptions. Janoris Jenkins has been getting on everybody's nerves in camp and has been uh, playing fantastic. Uh, The battles between Marshall Lattimore and Emmanuel Sanders or Marshall Lattimore and Michael Thomas, imagine being Marshall Lattimore in that situation, right? Like you want to get better at your craft and you want to test yourself. Who wants to line up? Who wants yep. to go? You yep. know, he's got his pick of the litter uh, in terms of what he wants to do. And these guys are finding ways to continue to not only develop but produce. And the way that the defense is playing is only going to make the offense better. And then now you're starting to see some other names that maybe we don't recognize all the time standing out as a part of this. You know, Cade Nellis, who I've always been a big fan of and has become a friend of mine at the linebacker. He's at the linebacker position drafted in the seventh round last year. He had an interception a pick six really uh, in team drills today uh, on, uh, on uh, Wednesday and uh, Keith Washington, the undrafted free agent out of West Virginia, who I've been really looking forward to six foot one, just around 190 pounds. He's like the perfect prototype fit for what it is that the saints like in terms of size. And he's willing to get in your face and he's willing to be that get it up from the mud kind of player as an undrafted free agent, do a little bit of everything Four three eight speed contributes on special teams, walks away with two interceptions today, including an interception on the final play of camp to wrap up a two minute drill that otherwise was looking pretty good for Jameis Winston. Um, this has been a very exciting time watching these guys go to work. We're seeing it at the pass rush at the, at the first level. We're seeing it in coverage and pass rush at the second level. And we're seeing the work that the secondary is putting in on the back end. This is very exciting to see. Now you want to see them carry it into the season, of course, and what it's going to look like. My big question is what is tackling going to look mm-hmm. like when we get to specifically September, you know, like what's that going to like, but you know, they're working on doing live scrimmages or scrimmages with live periods to allow the players to get some tackles, to get some full on contact going with one another and continue to work on that. Cause otherwise it's kind of theoretical, right? You're tackling blue bags and that's it. And you can work on leverage. You can work on positioning. You can work on getting into position. You can work on momentum, all of that, but you can't work on taking somebody down if you're tackling a blue bag. And so that's going to be kind of my biggest question mark when it comes to defense is what is the, which tackling clinic are we going to get, you Mm -hmm. know, once we begin, but if they're able to be 
adequate tacklers at the beginning of the season and operate as a unit, get more than one player to the ball, the fundamentals that, that go around that, then I think this is a defense that uh, can look very promising going into the 2020 year. And if the offense is as high octane as everyone is expecting, that's going to be good for the defense because they might find themselves on the field quite a bit and find themselves on a field against a passing offense quite a bit on top of that. Yeah, it, it's surprising when you see that now there's less concern about depth at the linebacker spot because you bring in a Nigel Bradham and then he's gone that mm-hmm. quickly. It also shows, again, the Saints and their commitment to we're not tied to anyone. You bring you in. Right. If the fit doesn't feel right, as soon as it doesn't, they are willing to cut their loss and get out and make the next move. Yep. Coach Payton talked about when we rewatched the uh, – the, the return to the Dome game months ago now, feels like years ago, but months ago when we watched it, they reiterated on ESPN. I can't remember the exact phrase that they used, but Coach Payton was quoted talking about Bill Parcells, who of course was, uh, you know, he's, he's part of that coaching tree, uh, talking about essentially not allowing predisposed notions and predisposed ideas and opinions be developed on players based on their draft, uh, uh, draft position. And whether they were drafted or undrafted, whether they were free agents, rookies, to not let any of that factor into the decisions. Instead, to allow players to show them who they are. And the thing that's so exciting about that as a player, I imagine, clearly, I am not a football player. But uh, one of the things that we've seen is that that is a part of what has made the culture of the New Orleans Saints so attractive to free agents, to rookies, to undrafted free agents. They're coming into the league because they know that no matter where they're drafted, where they're not drafted, if they're drafted, doesn't matter, that they can have a shot and that it's on them to come in and perform. Shai Tuttle, Taylor Stallworth, we got Malcolm Roach as a part of that rotation now as a potential undrafted free agent. Andrew, uh, not Andrew Dallas, sorry, he's the linebacker. Jalen Dalton was somebody that the Saints really liked. He unfortunately got hurt today, um, and you know, it's, it's not looking great for him, which stinks because they really liked him. And I was pulling for him. I was really hoping for him to at least end up on the practice squad, something like that, where the practice squad is going to be a little bit more active than usual in terms of getting opportunities in this season. And so whether it be with the team that they're on the practice squad for or other teams, those guys are getting opportunities this year. And so you see all that. You look back to Zach Shreef, to Marcus Colston, to Pierre Thomas, to Lance Moore, to Willie Sneed, all these players that Coach Payton has stuck to his word with in that it doesn't matter where you come from and at what point you got here you have a, an opportunity to come out here and, and earn something. You know, we look back at last year, Coach Payton talking about how the wide receiver depth chart was written in chalk outside yeah. of maybe Michael Thomas, you yeah. know, and anybody could have been anywhere. And we've seen that with the Saints, even after the depth chart is set, the number one option is not always the number one option. We talked about that where, you know, people ask about who's going to be the number three option in, in New Orleans. And it's like, take, take your pick. Take what a pick who is the, it? Who right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Take take your pick of who the number one option is on any given week. Look back at week 14 against the San Francisco 49ers with a game plan that was driven through Jared Cook until he unfortunately had to leave under concussion protocol. And I think that all of that is 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 impressive and, and or sorry, it is being impressed upon us as we look back at what the Saints are doing so far here during camp. And uh it it should be generating a lot of excitement for this season. 
Yeah, I mean, you want the best 53, mm-hmm. and and that's been Sean Payton's commitment. I mean, yeah, we know that clearly there's sometimes there are business decisions that have to get made sure. for the financial flexibility of the franchise. You do what you got to do. But for by and large, I think Sean Payton knows that this is his roster. He gets to pick who he wants. And, you know, there may be some consulting with Mickey on dollars, but he's taking his guys. He's yeah. taking his guys. And he's, that I think that creates a sense of genuine competition. And that is better not just for the guys who are coming in as draft picks, but for the vets too, mm-hmm. because you know there's, the security is in your performance. Yep. And I think that's what they want to be judged by, by and large, is my I, I, coming up you want that. And as a starter and as a veteran, it keeps you tested to know that, that if I don't do my job, somebody's here to take it. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that's, there's no place, I would dare say that there's almost no place or maybe only a couple places where that's more true than on airline. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that is it. We've seen it. We've seen it several times. We've seen it several times. And uh, the Saints are always going to put their players in position to, and, and, you know, the other part of it too, that's really exciting. And Jeff Ireland talked about this last combine if i remember correctly combine ahead of last year's draft where he talked about how they do their best to make sure that every player that they bring into the facility they can carve out the quickest way to a roster spot for them and that they have an active they don't want to bring anybody that doesn't have a chance to compete there's no such thing as yeah i think they're about camp body camp body exactly right i think that we use that term we throw that around sometimes but it's it's not really a thing in New Orleans because everybody has some shot. If Ethan Wolf, who just came in as a tight end for the New Orleans Saints, if he goes out there and he impresses as a blocker and he you know, does the dirty work and also makes some catches, but he more importantly does the job of a blocker and gets out there, he could play himself onto that practice wide. He could play himself into a job. Any player has the ability to do that. Any player on this roster has the ability to do that. And I think that that is one of the things that makes – New Orleans, an attractive destination for free agents, for rookies, for young guys. And we saw the Saints already now when, they, you know, when every other team was cutting down their roster from 90 to 10. You looked around and you saw you know, seven, eight, nine undrafted free agents getting cut from all those rosters. For the mm-hmm. Saints, it was two. Yep. It was two UFA, UDFAs. You know, out of the out of the eight that they total needed to cut, because two no no sorry that's not right it was ten because two the two tight ends opted two out two dropped the out, Saints yeah. yeah the Saints then signed two more players and then cut ten so they filled the roster back up and knocked it back down and eight out of those ten eighty percent were veterans with at least one year of experience yep and they we talked liked. about them being patient about that about them mm-hmm. not rushing to do those cuts that yep. they were going to be surgical and that they were going to be intended. Uh, you know, intentful that they weren't just going to say, yeah, cut the, cut the, the young guys. No, right. That's not how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. what's interesting is you did a great column on that about the culture. Oh, thank you. Franchise. Yeah, yeah. And that came out yesterday, 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same conversation I've been having about the Pelicans on the other side mm-hmm. is in establishing a culture and the things within that, that you hinted to there, but that whole, we understand what kind of player Sean wants. We understand, and it's not just skill set wise. It's temperament. What do they bring right. into the locker room? How do they yep. work? All of those things. They they are deep in examining those things, and then, like you said, they have a plan for every one of those players when they come in the building. Whether it's a free agent, whether it's a rookie, whatever, there is a plan in place 
for that person to be successful. If they are not, if they don't meet the plan, then you, you move on. Right. But that is, that is something that the Pelicans have never had as a structure. So it's like, look across the hall. Sometimes you do steal to get right. You yes. steal ideas to get right. The, Pelic- the, the Saints got right when they established a consistent culture mm-hmm. and, what, and identified who and what they wanted to be as an organization. That is, again, like you said, there are a few places in the NFL – in sports, in business yep. that are so clear about what they are so that other people take notice of that. And the Saints are in that position. Yeah. I actually, it's so fun. I love that you, you drew the parallel between the two franchises because I almost put a reference in that article about the recent firing of head coach Alvin Gentry for the Pelicans. Gail Benson taking on, what is it, $5.4 million loss with that yeah. firing some, yep. somewhere around there? And that's a, that's a decision you have to make in that I'm going to eat that cash. I'm going to eat that money because I'm going to move on from somewhere. This franchise is ready to move on from somebody that, you know, we feel like isn't bringing what it is that we want, isn't a part of the culture, whatever the reasons may be, right? They're looking for somebody that can generate buy-in, quote unquote. So if Alvin Gentry can't do that, we'll take that hit, move on from him and get the right person in the building. We've seen the Saints make decisions like that. We've seen the Saints... You know, when they transitioned Jeff Ireland over to, uh, you know, more of a director of college scouting position in 2015 when they brought him back through and what he's been able to do in terms of the draft classes that he brought in in that same season, if I remember correctly, because Terry Fontenot has been doing this for six years, entering his sixth year now. So 2014, 2015, they moved Terry Fontenot into pro scouting. Uh, that those coincided with the way that this all shifted. Yep. for the saints. Cause those players that were drafted in 2015 that were signed in 2015 that remained on the roster going into the big changeover in 2017 took a little bit of time for the, for everything to take effect, but you had to do a lot of roster turnover. Yep. You had to make the right decisions on a bunch of different guys. And even if somebody that you liked as a, as a good fit on your team, if there was any toxicity between coach and a player uh, uh, position coach and a player, equipment manager and a player. If you wanted to move on from either one of those parties, you had to make that decision, even if it wasn't best for the talent on field, if it meant that you can create a greater environment in terms of the familial nature that you wanted to create with the culture, they had to make those decisions. They had to sort of overturn uh, all of that. And then you get the 2017 draft class that was absolutely incredible. And then now you've led up to the last three seasons, which have been all about culture, have been all about how these players have been a part of a winning organization. Nigel Bradham, less than a week before he got cut, <laughs> right. was talking about how, you know, the Saints were the, the winningest, you know, a winning organization, unlike one that he had ever been a part of in the two previous organizations before that, calling out a team with which he went to the Super Bowl three years in a row and won a, I'm sorry, went to the playoffs three years in a row and won a Super Bowl with. What is it that makes the Saints different from that aspect outside of if it's not the win-loss column. If the win-loss column isn't what's transitioning or isn't what's informing that decision, what is it that's different about New Orleans? And it's these types of finite, meticulous, very intentional adjustments that they've made in order to increase and further support and foster a culture within their locker room. And that was a change within the organization that took place. Like you said, they had there had been a number of years that fans will say the Saints made short-term decisions that mm-hmm. had long-term repercussions. Yep. And those caught up with them. And they had to reevaluate, how do we do this? What are we as an organization? What do we want? How do we sustain this? And it had to become bigger than even Sean Payton. 
Right. It had to yeah. be something that could withstand Sean Payton not necessarily being there every minute of the day. Mm-hmm. That's a real culture. If, he, if he's not in the building, does it still work? Does right. it work in principle? Do our players live it out of, outside of the building? And I think that is what you're seeing now, the benefit of what this offseason has been, the benefit of what the way training right. camp has gone to this moment is the direct byproduct of that shift, like you talked about organizationally, those years ago yeah yeah absolutely and you know and now it's just all about putting it together on the field on a truncated distance off season but they're in the they're we're one of the teams in the best position to be able to do it because i mean like this is an offense that's come out and performed incredibly well on a truncated off season before if you look at the 2011 season i would think that defense is tougher to adjust to right now and so if the defense is already looking good and the offense you know is going to click you know we have this conversation every first week of training camp oh the saints offense oh what's the saints obviously like they're going to click eventually and then they inevitably they do um you know and so if the offense continues the trend towards what they've always done and now the defense sort of takes this next next step then this team with the culture that it has can live out the expectations that they have for themselves, which is to end up in Tampa, you know, in, in February, assuming that we, we get that far with the season. Right. And to go to that offensive t- part. And mm-hmm. I think this really, it, it legitimately begins to look again, like this could be the most talented offense the saints have ever put together position by position. Al Kamara sits out the last couple of days. Ty Montgomery comes in. Looks phenomenal at, at, at everywhere they put him. Right. And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay. Another another one. And right. then the wide receivers. Traquan Smith, he's looking great. Then you have also these other guys who last year weren't even on the board of, of our discussion. Right. And now every day there's another wide receiver who's getting his name mentioned as somebody who made some standout plays. Yep. And yeah. just three weeks ago, we would have said, behind Emmanuel Sanders, do they even need to have a third guy? Right. Can we just go <laughs> right. two tight ends yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, they might have three or four series to go with. This is right. It's crazy how much things change in a week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 and you're watching things click for players too. You know, um, Coach Payton talked about Traquan Smith and the importance of his role being a very physical role with the team and what he's able to bring to the offense. You see him operate as somebody that can make catches in traffic in terms of physical role, which is something that coach Payton named by name, but you also look at his role as somebody that, you know, helps from the Y he helps tight. Yeah. Tight to the formation in terms of chipping these edge rushers off the line of scrimmage and, and creating more time for his quarterback. And then ends up running these safety valve routes, which came in handy a lot, particularly with Teddy Bridgewater. He has a physical enough, uh, uh, way about himself and the way that he plays that he has been, you know, he caught four passes in the red zone, all for touchdowns. And that was hundred percent of his targets in the red zone. So you got to imagine he's going to get more red zone targets in 2020. Uh, you know, they'll continue to feed him there. They're really working with him in the slot, working with him at the Y as well. He told us today. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where like, it's a combination of these new guys that are showing up and being impressive and getting people excited and the people that have been around taking the necessary steps forward to continue to continue to develop and continue to progress so that they too can continue to 
either contribute at the level that they've always contributed or take the next step and contribute more. You see on the defensive side too, Carl Granderson coming about and the way that he's been playing so far, the Saints have lacked that third edge rusher presence. Trey Hendrickson has been, I'm sorry, edge defender presence. Trey Hendrickson has been a good edge rusher, but he's been a little bit of a liability in the run game sometimes. If Carl Granderson continues on the track that he's on as somebody that has been an effective edge rusher during camp as well as an edge defender playing in the run game, he could be a guy that ends up taking, you know, getting more snaps, I'll just say. You know, I don't, I don't want to hype him up too much, but, you know, give him more snaps and he gets more opportunities if he makes good on that and that continues to grow. Shy Tuttle came back to practice today too. He had a phenomenal rookie season for an undrafted mm-hmm. rookie. You know, the way that he put together, like leave alone the interception and the amazing stiff arm on Matt Ryan that I want to put on Valentine's Day cards and send to my family. Like even <laughs> outside of that, he also, you know, generated great pressure from the interior, played very well there, played good as a run defender. And so, you know, you're seeing a lot of – the thing that's nice about it is that you see the team checking a lot of boxes, and then individually you're watching each player within those individual positions checking a lot of boxes for themselves as well. Yeah, and um, the offensive line, um, you know, I'm not really concerned that Ramchek hasn't taken as many snaps as he probably would. I, I, I don't worry about that. Um, Cesar Ruiz is done with – did he, did he take first team at center again today? Because I know he had the three previous days. If I remember correctly, yes, he did. So it looks like, I mean, I know that they said they're still going to do some more alternating, but it looks like they're going to go with Ruiz at center. Yeah, they want, they want Ruiz at center. Like, I'm, I'm, I love pretending, don't get me wrong, it's fun. Uh, but they, they really want him at center. Uh, I'm checking right now from the pool report to see there's no uh, offensive line update. So I'm going to assume that that means that there was no change and that he, he continued Took to play. The first team snap. So yeah, four yeah. days in a row. I, I, you know, they've got what a scrimmage coming up next week at the dome mm-hmm. and then they they're going to do it. A truncated one on Thursday, on Friday uh, this week as well. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're starting to make that transition to Ruiz and, and just, it's just, they haven't said it. And they did, this is the same thing in camp last year. Yep. It's like, it was, we knew it was McCoy's job and we just, we were just <laughs> waiting for them to say it. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Now we can write that it, it actually happened. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, now we call him center Caesar Ruiz. Jameis and Tamis. That's Tamis as Drew Brees called them. But Jameis and Taysom, uh, James had a couple, you know, had a, a couple rough throws the last couple of days um, with the weather, uh, but still, he's come in and set a tone in that in a huddle. People love him in the huddle, and then and we're also seeing Taysom Hill throw some really good balls as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anything has changed our minds as far as the order of these two guys, but it's good to see a that Taysom is doing some nice things with his arm. Absolutely, but b that that James Winston could come in and be accepted in this culture, which is. Yes, it's open, but at the same time, it's very serious. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. He's fit right in. He's been, you know, every player that we've been able to ask about him has, uh, you know, loved him and talked him up and talked about him fitting right in and everything. And that's great. Like, that's the culture that you want to see. That's the environment that you want to see for him. Because I, I couldn't imagine being a guy that wants to come in and work on his game, improve, learn from people that, uh, that he feels like can teach him, and then just – not even be able to get off on the right foot. Like that would have been detrimental to any of that development or anything like that. So that's good that this is operating in a, a cohesive manner toward what it is that he wants to achieve as a quarterback in, in that room. And yeah, I mean, you're seeing some struggles for him. You're seeing some struggles for all, all three run, well, uh, quarterbacks, honestly. Drew Brees didn't, you know, he, he rested today. 
this is, I think that was his second rest day, and he's had other days where he's kind of taken it easy. So they're getting a good look at Jameis and Taysom as we expected. You know, everybody was shocked. Oh, Jameis is going to get first team snaps. It's like, yes, of course he's going to get first team snaps. Like, so yeah. is Taysom. Like, they're going to they're going to look at these guys. There's no preseason. They got to do something. Um, and so, you know, they they both had their struggles. Both of the backup quarterbacks there. Drew Brees had his struggles at times. It's to be expected uh, with camp and everything as it is, but uh, but certainly there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to when it comes to Jameis, and we're seeing him make some smart decisions too. Go, you know, going to the check down, everything like that. We are seeing him try to force some passes in, but there's probably a lot more constructive adjustment being made to that in this environment than in the environment that he had at Tampa Bay, which almost seems to promote him as a risk-taking quarterback because of the, you know, no risk it, no biscuit moniker uh, that we've heard several times from those coaches uh, and, and that attitude. And so um, I, I think that this puts him still in a better position to where, yeah, we're still seeing some of the same issues in terms of decision-making, in terms of waiting too long and trying to gun a pass in as opposed to appropriate timing, which the receivers are a little bit more used to with Drew Brees. But nothing that we're seeing so far out of all of that isn't diagnosable and adjustable. That was the whole point. That yeah. was the whole point of him showing up in New Orleans. So even in those moments where he does struggle, which he's had moments where he has also looked just, I mean, there's a clear difference. I'll just say there's a very clear difference between what he brings and not only what Taysom Hill brings, but also what, what Drew Brees brings yeah. as well. You know, the there's a placement the that they can't do. Right. Exactly. At times they just don't have, and it's not just velocity. Right. There's, there's something that, that there are certain throwers of the football and Jameis is one of those people who can put it in places where other people can't. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's, it's getting all those skills to work together. Right. And part of it too is he saw so many blitzes. Bro, he had no t- offensive line. We did a film study for him and watched every touchdown and every uh, interception the other day. He had an offensive line maybe half the time. <laughs> so when you're, when you're raised in those bad circumstances too, again, it's, it's going to be breaking bad habits and, and a lot of bad habits that go all the way back to Florida State. Mm-hmm. They go all the way back to Florida State that weren't corrected. And so, yeah, it's a lot of work to be done. Nobody said it wasn't you know, fixer upper in some ways. Right. But I, I take that fixer upper. Oh. If you're going to have to fix up something that can throw for five grand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me fix that up. Yeah. Yeah. Over the one that threw, you know, can throw for 1500 yards. Mm, right. Let me, let me deal with this. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good problem to have mm-hmm. your, your $1.2 million backup right. you know, be a guy who threw for 5,000 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that any day. Uh, it, it just uh, with the, with the Saints moving into that, that again that have the controlled scrimmage this week, like you said, mm-hmm. and then next week in the dome, getting their first kind of real experience of what it'll be like to play in there with no fans. But we still we still haven't really seen anything outside of for the Saints outside of camp that has been a story. There's been no other yes. thing, and that in and of itself is good news. Yes, we should whisper that. I know, no, uh, <laughs> no, but no, you have to right. sneak in some girl into the. Uh, I'm sorry, Cam. I'm about to put you. I'm sorry. No, please don't be Cam Jordan. Please don't be Cam. It Jordan. would never be. It would no, never be. Please. I couldn't even imagine. No. <laughs> Cam would be the one stopping whoever that player is at the door, saying, "No, bro, don't do it. Right. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it." <laughs> you know, um, I can't. I couldn't imagine <laughs> a vet letting somebody on this team. Not at all. Get into that Not position. Yeah, like if anybody said, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to try that. I'm sure somebody was like, no, 
no, you are not. You absolutely no. will not. No, I, I, yeah, man, it's been great. Like it's been great for that. And I hope that that continues. Certainly. Um, you know, there are the stories that you get in the off season that you'd never want to see and everything. And so far, you know, unscathed in terms of that, that context. And, you know, I, I think that this is a team that's very focused on the goal that they truly believe that they can achieve by the end of this year, the end of this season, and they're not going to do anything. It seems like to jeopardize that or put that at any kind of risk. And that's just the type of maturity, the type of leadership and everything that the saints have and that you, you can expect to see at this point. So from here right now, it just feels like, man, just stay healthy. Cause there've been exactly. a couple of nicks, uh, bumps and bruises. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what Zach Bond has, has had is a, a little uh, injury. Mm-hmm. A couple other guys have had, you know, missed some days, but there hasn't been anything super serious at a very a position of importance yet. Right. Yeah. 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 We've seen some a, a couple of things like Noah Spence beforehand, yeah. Jalen Dalton today, Johnson Batamosi, and certainly you hate that for those guys, and you never, you know, you never want to see it. But fortunately for the Saints, those are guys that were either, you know, they're fringe players, they're they're role players, they're contributors, but they're not, you know, your star players. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see, you know, Ryan Ramchek getting rest, Taysom, I'm sorry, uh, Teron Armstead getting rest and probably making another dope song too. Uh, Drew Brees getting rest. Like you see those players getting, you know, Cam Jordan ain't taking any rest, but you know, you, you see those players that are getting uh, an opportunity to, to rest up and open up opportunities for younger players, open up uh, evaluation opportunities for coaches to be able to see some of these younger players as well at different positions. And I, I think that that's one of the reasons why you see that is because the team itself knows that it, this is not the time to risk anything. Nope. If they feel like these guys are going to be able, you know, these veterans that have been in the league and not only in the league, but in, on the Saints roster for some time, and they feel like they're going to be, you know, fine and can plug right in and can continue doing the, doing the work that they do at a high level, then they'll, they'll rely on that. Yeah. And, and uh, ultimately I, I just believe the Saints are focused on this is a marathon and however this mm-hmm. is going to play out, they're not going to push guys to their breaking point in this preseason, not knowing what's ahead. And they don't want those quick startup injuries of guys having something nagging throughout the year because they tried to get them to do too much during camp. And right. I, I just, Sean Payton, his approach to this has just been, I mean, I, I, you have to give the organization credit where credit's due. And, and just him, he, Mickey Loomis, the rest of the executive staff, the way it's handled so far, we'll see what the outcome is. But from the outside, at this point, you'd say they've, they've hit the right notes throughout this offseason, and now they've handled just about everything that's come across their plate. Yep. Yeah, I think that that's, that's accurate. It's accurate in terms of the way that they've done it so far. And now it's just about translating all the success that they've seen so far this offseason and then turning it into success once the season begins. And uh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. There's a lot of reasons to be you know, reserved and to be, you know, prepared because there's still a lot of question marks about what the season even looks like, that there's still so many things that we don't know at this point. And and we have to acknowledge that, but certainly if things were to operate under the understanding and with the, you know, uh, uh, best possible case scenario moving forward with the saints and with the NFL, um, then yeah, I think that you, you have a lot of reason to be excited about this team. They're they're in a great place today. Yeah. Um, Man, again, always a pleasure when we do this uh, from start to finish, the Saint mm-hmm. stuff, non-Saint stuff, everything. Uh, but please, as we ask you, give them the quick rundown of 
all the places. Well, you don't have to do all, but the, the quickest yeah, yeah. places <laughs> to be found. Yeah, man, absolutely. No, always a pleasure. Uh, and I always say, like, first and foremost, catch me here on Wednesdays at the Dome Patrol. But David right. Grubb, hard in the paint. Uh, but you can always catch me every day as well, Monday through Friday, over at the Locked on Saints podcast, uh, over the write ups over at uh, Canal Street Chronicles. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola uh, as well. And happy to interact, talk, Saint stuff, non Saint stuff. Always happy to interact with people and, uh, and continue to push dialogue forward, regardless of what it's about. So I appreciate you. And uh, I thank y'all for, for supporting my man here and for making sure that. Uh, you know, he gets put on a mat where he belongs. So I appreciate you <laughs> and all the hard work that you're doing, man. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, it's, it's my pleasure to host you. And um, you know how we do. We'll just keep it honest. That's all it is. Whatever we're talking about, we keep it honest. And Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's the promise we make. So uh, to the listener and to each other. So for Ross Jackson and myself, David Grubb, don't forget, you know, you can follow me at DM Grubb on either Twitter or Instagram as well. And the website, HITPwithdg.com. So the next time this has been hard to pay soon.